Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get it open. We're going to be in John chapter 6 today. Larry, thank you. Uh, Really excited to continue in the study of the Gospel of John. If you're new with us, we are uh, walking through one chapter a week as we look at some of the verses from each chapter. Um, And so we're into John chapter 6, and I think the Lord has a word for us today in there, and so I'm excited to to share that with you. If you've missed it, uh, all the rest of the, or most of the rest of the, the Gospel of John sermons are up online, and so you can go back and check them out and get caught up if, uh, if you missed out on any of them. But uh, I'm glad you're with us today. So a uh, special welcome to those who are here for the first time, and uh, here we go, John chapter 6. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Uh, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a, crowd, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked This only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now Philip answered him, It would it would take more than a half than than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have some. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed them to those who were seated as much, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Then he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So, the other, so, so, they, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over and by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they, had, that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Father God, as we continue to look at your word, I pray, Father, that, uh, that what we experience now, what we hear, what we say, what we, what we share, God, what, 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 what we receive now, Father, is direct from you. God, make sense of this word. Allow it to apply to our lives in ways that allow us to go into the world and be ready. Jesus, empty us that you might fill us up. We pray in your name. Amen. Why do you follow Jesus? Okay, I made an assumption to start with, but just, just indulge me with the, with the uh, assumption. Why do you follow Jesus? Okay, I recognize that some of you are thinking, does he really want me to answer that question? 
Okay, yes, I do. Yes, I do. So this is one of your chances. This is like being back in school when you knew the answer and you wanted to call out, but your teacher didn't let you. This is the exact opposite of that, okay? You're allowed to. You're encouraged to. So why do you follow Jesus? Just shout out an answer. Give me. There, there's no right and wrong. Well, there probably are some wrong, but mostly right. But why do you follow Jesus? He saved me. He's the way. He's the son of God. Why do you follow Jesus? No one else has the words of life. Because he's your redeemer and friend. Okay? He loves you. Amen. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you choose to daily say, I'm sorry? All right, all right. Yes, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. Why do you choose to daily say yes to Jesus? You, something drives you to say yes to that. Why do you do it? For how many of us this is a new thought? Like, you know you follow Jesus, but you haven't really thought about why. Anybody? Okay, so if we didn't raise our hand, we're either all super introverted. <laughs> I know some of you. That's not true. Or... You're just waiting to see, you know, what other people say to make sure your story's in line. Why do you follow Jesus? What happened for you that, that made you say, you know what, I'm in. I believe. I want to be a part of. I'll come along. What was it? Come on. Come on. You, you, you're right in the sermon today. He changed your heart. Amen. Okay. All right, all right, to enable you to be the best that you can be. All right. He forgave, me for my sins. he forgave you for your sins. Come on, let's get one or two more. Yes, what was it? That's right. That's right. So you, you, you recognize that based on your life, you were like, I'm going in the wrong direction. And he promised that he'll change that. Yeah? For your own, yeah, for your benefit. That's right. So, so when you bought in, it was because you were like, I can't get there on my own, and he can. So I'm tag along. Okay, anybody else? Anybody else? Come on, somebody else. Yeah. 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 If you, if you missed all of what she said, she said that because he, he, his thoughts are above her thoughts and he could do and, and, and be more than she could ever do or be. And, uh, and, and he was the answer to questions that she could not find an answer to. Those are all great reasons for following Jesus. And, and honestly, I know that if we sat down together and you, and you are indeed someone who's following Jesus, you have a story to it. You have a reason why. You have something that made you say, you know what, yeah, I'm going to do that. There was something this morning that said to you, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to church, right? That is in part, part of your action of saying, I'm following Jesus, right? If you're not following Jesus or you're not yet following Jesus, then you're, you, you, you might wrestle at times, like, do I really want to go be a part of that? I don't really know. I'm not, I'm not really in there yet. But this question of why do we follow Jesus is super important, and we're going to see it played out here in this passage as we take a look at it. 
Um, in, ver in verse 2, it says that there was a great crowd of people who followed, Je followed him, him as Jesus, who followed him. Why? Why? If you've if you, if you got your Bible open, I hope you're looking with me. I'm in 6, chapter 2. There was a great crowd of people who followed him because they saw the signs. They saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. You remember back in chapters 5 and chapter 4, Jesus had done some miracles, and he had healed some people, right? And so people began to hear the story. People saw the story. Everywhere Jesus went, people were being touched. Healing was happening. And that, and that made other people say, hmm, I want to know more about that. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I, I, I'm willing to at least to follow along. I, I, I want to watch. I want to be in proximity to that. And so, uh, and so people began to come. When Jesus' ministry first started, you remember his disciples, uh, those who were beginning to follow him, had a little bit of uh, ministry envy with, with John's disciples because John had more people following him, right? And then, then later John's disciples had a little ministry envy towards Jesus' disciples because he started to do the things that John was doing. And, and so what, what's happened here as we progress through the Gospel of John is, is, is the crowd of people is swelling. But let me say this to you this morning. Don't be confused by the number that show up. Don't be confused by the number that show up. Yeah, there was a lot of people who were coming, and the Bible tells you why they came. They came because they saw signs, and they wanted to know more about it. They were intrigued by it, right? My, uh, when I, when I, uh, I had a friend who, um, well, it doesn't matter. I, 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 I had a friend who has since gone on to glory, but he had this saying. He said, every new broom always sweeps clean. Maybe you've heard that before, right? Every new broom always sweeps clean, right? In other words, like when something is fresh and it's new and it's creative, everybody is drawn to it. But sooner or later, if that is all that keeps you there, it passes, right? So there are masses of people who are following Jesus right now. There are masses of people who are showing up everywhere that Jesus is going to be. Matter of fact, some people are trying to guess where he's going next, and they're trying to get there ahead of him so they can have front row seats to see what Jesus is going to do. Makes you ask the question, why are you following Jesus? What's your level of buy-in? What's your level of investment? So the crowds were there because they saw the signs and they, that he had performed when he had healed some people. You can imagine some of the people who are in the crowd are, are people who have significant need. They had heard that Jesus was the great healer. And so they would show up. Maybe he'll heal me. Maybe just being in the crowd, in the midst, maybe whatever, you know, kind of whatever he throws out there, maybe it'll affect me. Maybe I will receive some of that blessing, some of that gift, some of that healing, some of that miraculous nature that only Jesus could offer. So they come. They're ready. They're attentive. They're, 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 they're following along. They're leaning in when Jesus begins to speak. So Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with who? I hope you're following along. I'm in verse 3. Jesus went up on the side of the mountain and he sat down with who? with his disciples. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. You just told me that there were masses of people who were there. And Jesus gives his attention to who? Why? 
Jesus, you don't care about the masses? There are literally thousands of people who have showed up. They've walked for a long time. They went on a long journey to get where Jesus was going to be. And Jesus, you're going to pay attention to these 12? There's estimated of at least five, probably 7,500, maybe 10,000 people who were gathered at the base of where Jesus is. And the Bible says he sat down to talk to the 12. Why? Well, let me start here. I think part of the reason why is because the 12 knew why they were following Jesus. Let me say it again. I think part of the reason why is the 12 knew why they were following Jesus. See, they weren't, they weren't in it for the glamour. They weren't in it for the crowds. They was in with following Jesus. They knew why they were showing up. They knew why they were willing to put it on the line. They were honestly saying, Jesus. Not just saying, give me. They were saying, Jesus. So Jesus sits down with the 12. It was around that time of the Jewish Passover feast, and so it explains a little bit of why so many people were in town. And when Jesus looks out, he sees the great crowd, and he sees them coming towards him. So he looks to Philip, and he says, what are we going to feed these people? It's around lunchtime. What are they going to eat? Now look, <clears throat> one thing we've accomplished in this church, we've accomplished a lot of things over the last eight years together. One thing we've accomplished, and we have instituted ways for people to eat. Amen? Okay, so we try to feed you spiritually right here, right? This is this kind of spiritual nurture. I hope you understand that. Hopefully you, your, your spiritual meter feels full when you leave here. We also try to feed you physically here. And then if you have significant need, we try to feed you throughout the week as well. Like there is a, there's a, this one thing we take serious in the church. We're going to try to help you eat, all right, on all kind of levels. Now, look, part of that is just because I enjoy it. Amen? Amen? Come on. Y'all enjoy it too. I know it. Come on. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. You enjoy some of it at least. All right. Amen. Amen. So, so Jesus is looking out at, at Philip, and he's sitting with his disciples. He says, hey, guys, uh, it's around lunchtime. What are we going to do? Now, we have to understand all of the context of this, and I hope, you, I hope you can follow along with me. This story should immediately take your mind. If it didn't before, it will for the rest of your life. It should immediately take your mind back into the Old Testament, and you should be thinking about the Israelites. You with me? Come on, come on. You got to get with Moses is leading the Israelites out of captivity. And where are they going? That's right. Thank you. Thank you. They're going to the promised land. Moses is, I can't do it anymore. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Moses is leading them out of captivity into the promised land. And on their way to the promised land, they realize we've got a problem. What's the problem they got? Come on, say it louder. What is it? Come on, Pam, they're hungry. They ain't got nothing to eat. The Israelites turn to their leader and they say, hey, uh, Moses, this is what they literally say. We'd be better off back in captivity where at least we knew where our meal's going to come from. We're out here walking towards this God thing and we're going to die of hunger. And, uh, and, and, and Moses then has to petition God. I'm glad I'm not Moses, right? Moses then has to go to God and be like, hey, God, you told me to lead them and I'm leading them. And it's not me that's hungry. Well, I am a little bit, but I'm not worried about me. They're hungry. They're really hungry, and they're a little bit mad. What do I tell them? Right? He has to have this conversation with God. I'm in, I'm in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. So you can go back and check it out. And God says, don't you worry about this. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but not much. He says, don't you worry about this. I'm going to make it rain. I'm going to make it rain. 
But when it rains, it's going to rain this stuff that you've never seen before. And here's what you do. You go out every morning, and you instruct the Israelites, pick up the food that you want to eat today. But don't take anything extra. Just pick up what you need for the day. And trust that tomorrow I'm going to make it rain again. And so the first day they go out, and they're like, ooh, look at this. White, flaky stuff coming from the sky. But it wasn't snow. It was the stuff they call manna. Literally means bread from heaven. It was this bread from heaven. And they pick it up. And, that's good. Right? And so they eat a little bit. Now, <clears throat> maybe you're a little bit like the maybe a little bit like the Israelites, you know, you know, you see a little bit of what you need and you're a little bit worried that tomorrow might not come the way you want it to, and so you stuff a little extra in the back pocket. But so, did, so some of the Israelites did that, and what would happen is they would take some extra, and you know what it would do? It would spoil. If they tried to keep it for the next day. It would spoil overnight. So here they go. They gathered up all that they needed for the day. They took a little bit extra for tomorrow, and it spoiled. I mean, think maybe learn a lesson. Just, all right, I got to trust you today, God, for what I'm going to get today, and I'm going to trust you tomorrow for what I'm going to get tomorrow. So look, this was the story of the Israelites. You can go back and check that story out. And that happened not one day, not two days, not one month, not two months, not five years, not 10 years, not 15 years, not 20 years, not 30 years, but 40 years. That's a long time to say, hey, God, I trusted the bread's going to come from heaven today. Only day it didn't come from heaven, by the way, was on Sundays, probably on Saturdays back then, but it was on their Sabbath day. So on the night before their Sabbath, they were allowed to take extra. It was the only day they were allowed to take extra. So on their th night before their Sabbath, they were allowed to take two days worth. But if they took three days worth, you know what happened to the third day? Spoiled. Spoiled. So look, I'm telling you all that story to say this. Jesus is now sitting with the disciple, and he's like, hey, guys, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? Now look, now I just told you the story, right? We weren't quite as familiar as they would have been with the story. So now you understand. When Jesus says, where are we going to get bread to feed these people? You should immediately think, well, God, you've done this before. Come on, you've done this before. Like, you took care of people when they were hungry before. This isn't the first time. So I think you could do this again. But, but Philip, you know, he, you know, he doesn't answer that way. He says, you know, like, it would cost us a whole lot of money to try to feed all these people. The store, and they ain't ready to sell us that much bread. What are we going to do with that? And, uh, and so Jesus, the great miracle worker, you remember the miracle that Jesus had just worked, right? Come on, come on. This, is, this will make sense of why all these people were following Jesus. What was the first miracle that he did? The very, the very first public miracle. It wasn't heal the sick. That was good, though. And the very first public miracle that he did. Yeah, he took, a, he took a bunch of water, and he said, watch this. I'm going to make it the best wine you've ever tasted, right? And so he, he, he multiplied. He took water and made it into something better, and it was enough. And it, the, the, the Bible says that when they, at the end of the party, at the end of the wedding festivity, which was days long, at the end of the days long, they were tasting their very best. The very best wine they had ever had. That was what Jesus was able to do. So Jesus, if you could touch water and make it into wine, you could make it last long enough to go days long, can't you feed some hungry people? I mean, that's what I would think, right? Like, that's, that's what you and I would think from knowing the story. But Philip, who saw the story, he didn't say that. He said, well, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of people. How many of us were counters? How many, how many people were counters? You're a counter. Come on, here, I'll help you understand if you're a counselor, right? <clears throat> when somebody hands you your change from the, in the grocery store, right? And not, not your dollars and bills, but your change. 
you actually count it. How many of us do that? Come on, you're a counter. You're a counter. You're nickels and noses. You're nickels and noses, right? Here's, here's another way you know. Church-wise, church-wide, if, you, if you're a counter, here's how you know if you're a counter in church. Like, if you, if you think about how many people show up to church, and you either want to know, and so you stand up and count, or you pursue the answer by finding the people who do count, right? Eli, I'm a counter. I'm a counter. I want to know these kind of things, right? Or, or so, somebody else, right? You, you actually estimate how many flushes can happen in a day if the building is being used the way it needs to be. And so you're like, that's a lot of flushes, right? You're a counter. You're a counter, right? Right? So there's nothing wrong with being counters. I want you to know you were in good company. You're not the first one. Some of the disciples were counters, right? They looked out there and they counted. They said one, two, and that's a whole lot more than I can count to. That's a lot of people. And they looked back and Jesus said, Jesus is too many. It's too many. What you're asking of us is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit in the box that I've created. Anybody been in this spot? Anybody ever been challenged by God or by others to do something that is far beyond what they feel like would be natural and able for them to do on their own? That's the moment that the disciples are in. They're sitting with Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, guys, I'm going to just rest here. You go feed these people. And they're looking, and they're like, okay, I got one, I got two, I got three, I got four. Maybe I, I can squeeze to the second pew. But after that, I'm, I'm tapped out. I've counted, and the cost is too much. What do we do with that? And Jesus, <clears throat> the miracle worker, the, uh, the one who everybody has gathered around because of the miracles that he has already performed, because he can take, take water and make it into wine, because he can heal the lame and the sick, people are gathering around, and the disciples aren't aware enough to say, Jesus, would you just do this? I'm just counting on you to do this. I'll do whatever you ask me. Just do this. The disciples aren't ready to do that. They're not aware enough to do that. So what they do, they're surprised. They're in shock. They're in awe. They're a little confused. They're not alone. Think about this. This is true for us in church sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes what God wants from us, what God is presenting to us, is something that is just too far out there, isn't it? I mean, some of y'all, when... when when we started saying, you know, like church is going to be at 1030 instead of 11 o'clock, you were like, that's, that's too early, Pastor. That's too early, right? Well, for a while, when we flirted with having a Sunday night service, you were like, twice in one day, that's too much, Pastor. That's too much, right? When I first got here and I moved the sermons from 12 minutes to 15 minutes, some of y'all were like, I'm out. I'm out. Thank you now, and we in it now, but, but that was a long time ago, Right? But there was a stretch. It was a stretch. It was like, God, this is a lot. And I want to say this. You ain't alone. I felt a lot of those same kind of things before. I still feel a lot of those same kind of things now. Somebody was like, Pastor, you need to wear a coat when you preach. I was like, oh, goodness. <clears throat> Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Just kidding. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't my mom. Just joking. <laughs> Look at me at verse... Uh, Verse 8, Andrew Simon Peter's brother spoke up and he says, there's a boy who's got five and two, but that's not a lot. I don't know how far that'll go. I want to focus in here for a minute. <clears throat> if you got something to write with, write this down. What can I do with what I have? What can I do 
with what I have. There's two people to pay, to pay attention to in this story right here. There's Simon Peter. Who, there, there, there's, uh, there's, there's, uh, sorry, there's Andrew, who's Simon Peter's brother, who, uh, who finds the person who has something. Think about this. He's one of the disciples. He's looking at Jesus the same way the rest of the disciples are. He's like, I don't know what we're going to do here. And he has an idea. Andrew says, I'm going to find somebody who's got something, and I'm just going to bring it to Jesus. And so you can imagine him. He's kind of panhandling the crowd. He's like, hey, who, who can help? Who can help? Who can help? There's a lot of you. Who can help? Who can help? And everybody's like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I came here because I needed Jesus to do something. I didn't come with anything. So he's looking around, looking around, and this little boy speaks up. He's like, I got my lunchbox. I got my lunchbox. And Andrew's like, all right, let's see what Jesus can do with that. You know? And this is kind of how the story goes. He goes out into the crowd and he finds a little boy and he comes and brings the boy before Jesus. Now you got a little boy and you got Andrew and you got Jesus. And Andrew's looking at Jesus. He's like, Jesus, I, I walked the whole crowd and this is what I found. Here you go, son, tell him what you got. And the boy's like, I got my lunchbox. And he just holds it before Jesus. What can you do with what you got? The little boy did not bring enough to feed everybody. He probably barely had enough to feed himself. Matter of fact, it's probably estimated that, that what he had would have been the equivalent of like a, a, peanut, butter, a peanut butter sandwich without the jelly or, or, or like a can of sardines, right? Like that's about what he had. That was his lunch. That was probably a whole meal for a whole day for him. And he brings it before Jesus. He says, Jesus, what I got? They all hungry, but it's what I got. Think about this for a second. Kids are special, ain't they? You have to say yes to that. Come on, kids are special, ain't they? Come on, they're special in all kinds of ways. But one of the ways that they're special, and, and, and God acknowledges this through Scripture, one of the ways that they're special is that they, they have a childlike faith. They've got an ability to say it don't all have to make sense. Right? It don't have to make sense. Right? Right? They just come and it's like, yeah, that's good. Yeah. You said God loved me. That's enough for me. I'm in. Right? Like, you, you, said, you said this is good. It's good. Right? Now, we understand as they get a little older that, that that mindset progresses and progresses until finally they've got to evaluate everything in such a way that they've got to test it and see if they really still think that. But, but, the, but the youthfulness of a child is just they're like, I'm in. The water's blue, I'll swim. Right? Like, that's it. Like, that's, that's all I need to know. And so they come. This little boy comes to Jesus. He's just like, here you go, Jesus. I just trust you're going to do something with this. But how many of us, if all we had was today's lunch, when, get, when, when Andrew's coming around being like, who's got anything? How many of us would take that and put that behind us? Come on, be honest. How many of us would stand up and be like, oh, I got two fish. I got two. It's my only two I got, but you can have them. But this is what the boy does. This is what the boy does. The boy says, it's all I got. It's what I got. But if you want to do something with it, it's yours. <clears throat> and Now look, I, I, I love this story for all kinds of reasons, but watch this. Jesus looks at what the boy has. I'm going to go to verse 10. Jesus looks at what the boy has, and then he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Get everybody to sit down. Calm the crowd. Calm the crowd. I don't want anybody to miss what's about to happen. Jesus looks at, looks at the Calm the crowd. Let's have everybody sit down. There was plenty of grass. Everybody sat down. Verse 11. Jesus then took it, the loaves, and he gave thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, and he gave them. Come on, who's got it? Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Go back with me. Come on, come on. I hope you get this connection. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 16. What happened in Exodus chapter 16? What happened in Exodus 16? The Israelites were walking around, right? And they were hungry. 
They looked to God and said, God, we're hungry. And God said, I'm going to make it I'm going to make it rain. The manna comes from heaven. But here's the rule about the manna. How much can you take? Only what you need for, for the day. Only what you need for the day. That's all you can take. Now watch this. Jesus sits everybody down. Everybody sit down, sit down, sit down. Watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to take two loaves and I'm going to take, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take uh, two loaves and five fish or five loaves and two fish. That's what five loaves and two fish. I'm going to take five loaves and two fish and watch what I do. I'm going to multiply it. I'm going to make it rain all over you. And I, you can have as much as you want. Buffet style. Buffet style. Think about this. Last night I got to go to a Brazilian steakhouse. Anybody ever been to one of them? Anybody ever been to a Brazilian steakhouse? Let me just tell you, if you haven't been, just live through my story, okay? When you sit down at a Brazilian, I don't even like meat, but just live through the story. When you sit down, I do like meat, but not a lot, but sit down at a Brazilian steakhouse, they give you this little placard. It's a little, it's a little, little one. Some of them are round, some of them are square. Mine, mine was square. And on one side, it said, no thank you. And on the other side, it said, fill me up. All right? And anytime it said, fill me up, everybody just came around, waiters just all over the place, just walking over with skewers of food and just like slicing it. And it would just like fall, kind of like making it rain. It would fall right onto your plate. Just, 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 just slices of, of lamb and, 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 and beef and confused meats and just everything you could imagine. Just boom, just there. It was a lot of it. Things wrapped in bacon. I didn't ask what was in the middle. I just, the bacon part. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And sometimes I would forget to flip my card or somebody next to me might forget to flip their card. And all of a sudden your plate just like pancakes. You know, you're like, oh, it's too much. But this is the story. Think about this. Jesus instituted the Brazilian steakhouse. He said, everybody sit down. Watch this. Watch what I can do. I can take nothing, and I can make it be a whole lot. And it can be so much that you can have until you're full. Why is that possible? Well, because Andrew went to the crowd and said, hey, who's got something to bring to Jesus? And because the young boy said, you can have what's mine. What do you have? What do you have that you, what can God do with what you have? You might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, I don't have a lot. You know, I've only got two of these, or only got one of that, I only got a couple of nickels here. You know, some of you might be thinking, man, like, I, I, before I can think about giving anything to God, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to make it through the week. I hope you read this story again. The boy brought all the food he had. He had no promise of food for tomorrow. This was all the food he had. And he said, God, here, do something with it. Do something with it. Let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. Do you trust God? Come on, you shout that one out. Do you trust God? All right, everybody got to say yes to that because the person next to you said yes to that, right? So you just like follow along. But let me ask you this. Kind of what, what Eric was saying earlier. Uh, kind of out of, a, out of a, he described it out of a, and I know Eric really well, so he described it out of a, a selfish place. He said, I just want I wanted God to get me out of where I was going. Right? I wanted God to, to fix what was going wrong in my life. But <clears throat> we all trust God with our sin because God says he'll forgive it. I think Pastor Charlie said that. He forgives my sins, right? We trust God to forgive our sin. Here you go. You ready? But do you trust God with your stuff? Oh, oh, Pastor, you can't talk about that today. You hear that? You trust God with your sin, get me out of hell. But you trust God with your stuff, take what's mine. Come on, come on. I, I, I hear yes, but come on, let us sit in for a minute. 
Let us sit in for a minute, because yes, let me just tell you what yes is. Yes is inconvenient. Yeah, 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 yes means I'll take whatever's mine, and I'm putting it out there. Somebody comes out, I want your last. Okay, here you go. Right? Yeah, yes is not comfortable. Yes, is, I, I, was, I was just talking to somebody, and they were telling me a story about they were waiting in line at, 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 a, uh, at a fast food joint. And uh, they were waiting in line so long that they had multiple panhandlers knocking on their do- window being like, can you help? Yes is not comfortable. You trust God with your stuff. You trust God with the depths of your stuff. Ready? You trust God with the people that he's entrusted to you. Do you trust God with the people that he's entrusted to you? There's a lot of ways you can dig into that, but we could go down a whole message around stewardship. Do you know that, that um, one out of every four times that God spoke, that Jesus spoke in the New Testament was about stewardship? Do you know that? That one out of every four messages that he gave was about giving? It was about giving. Do you know that if I preach one out of every four sermons about giving, you know how much trouble I get in? Y'all be like, could you stop talking about giving? But, but the reality is, it meant a whole lot. And when I say giving, I'm not talking about just dollars, though that was a big part of it. I'm talking about the reality of saying, God, I trust you with my stuff. I trust you with everything that means something to me. I trust you with my relationships. I trust you with my family. I trust you with my career. I trust you with, with, uh, with, with my, my friendships. I trust you with my time. I trust you with my dollars. I trust you with my future. I trust you, God, not just to get me out of hell, but to deem and desire what my day would look like. I trust you. Do you trust God in in that kind of way? You know, it's crazy to think about Jesus gathered a large crowd of people who came. I told you that at the beginning of the story, that there were were thousands of people who came. Already, I asked you about trusting. If thousands of people would show up because they heard that Jesus could fix some things, why is it we won't invite anybody? Come on. Somebody got to hear that. If thousands of people will show up because they hear Jesus can fix some things, why is it that you and I won't invite anybody? Come on, somebody's got to feel that. We're, we're, we're tight on the lips all of a sudden, but we read in the scripture that thousands of people came simply because Jesus could make water turn into wine. I made water turn into mud. It means something, right? Like, Jesus can make water turn into wine. Why won't we invite anybody? Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Do we really trust that God, that Jesus, in the present, not just in the, not just in the storybook, but in the present, that God would do something? Do we really trust that if we invited somebody, that God would also show up? That God would also speak to somebody's life. That God would help somebody get clean. That God would help somebody get healed. That God would help restore somebody's marriage. That God would help set up somebody's finances. That God would get involved in the day and in the here and now. Or do we only think that that happened in a book that we read about? You see, if we really trust God, then we say, God, the way people showed up before, they'll show up again. I just need to be Andrew. I just need to walk out here and be like, hey, God's got, a lot, God's got a lot going on. What you got? How can you help? Would you give up whatever you got? You ain't got a lot, but would you give up what you got? Who's got something? Who's got something? Right? All I need to do is be willing to say, God, we're going to bring it before you, and we trust that you're going to do something with it. We trust that you're going to make sense of it. We tr- Oh, I'm sorry. 
I hope I didn't scare her. <laughs> what do you have? What do you have? And without God, what can you do with it? You see, I think where we get misaligned in this story and in other stories is we try to balance it out and say, well, all right, well, God, I'm going to give you a little bit here, and then I'm going to hang on to this, or I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to give you the 10, and I'm going to keep the 90, or however we balance those stories out. But the reality is <clears throat> the 10 in the story, represent, in, in, uh, in tithing or giving, represents, God, I trust you with all of it, so I give to you first. The 90 is, God, I'm going I'm to steward this well, but I'm going to steward it well in, in, light, in light of what you're doing. Church, I want to ask this morning a really important question. I, I hope you can follow me on this. Can you here say this with me? This will help you follow me. Say, but. No, come on, come on. Say it like you mean it. But, but Jesus. Jesus. Everybody was hungry. No, you don't have to keep repeating. Just follow. Everybody was hungry, and there was no answer. But Jesus. Everybody was hungry. There was no answer. But Jesus. See, there was nothing that could be done. There was no way you could handle the situation. There was no way they could fix the problem. There was nobody, no way they could clean it up. There was no way they could make everybody look right. The only answer was Jesus. Jesus, what's your circumstance? What are you going through that seems difficult, seems impossible, seems crazy, seems out there? Can you hear this? But Jesus. Going in that direction, but Jesus. I was lost, but Jesus. I was broken, but Jesus. I was broke, but Jesus. But Jesus, but Jesus. And now I gotta say, if we can believe but Jesus, then we gotta be willing to say, I know the one who can handle that. I'm sitting with the disciples, I'm sitting with Jesus. He's telling us a story about people who are hungry. I don't have to look and say, I've got no idea. I can look and say, I know the one who can handle this because I've seen him do it. I've heard how he's done it. I've heard he's overcome it. I've heard that he's fed the masses. I've heard that when people showed up, they were healed. I can invite somebody to come. I can bring somebody along. I can believe that if I would trust that relationship to Jesus, that Jesus would do something great with it. If Jesus would take a wretch, a wretched sinner like me, and a wretched sinner like you, and he would do something with that, then why wouldn't I believe he would do something with someone else who might come along? The story wraps up here, and we're, we're not going to get much further. The story wraps up here with, uh, with, with the disciples, uh, with, with Jesus saying to the disciples, um, we've got to go. We've got to get out of here. I'm in 14. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm in, uh, yeah, in, in 14. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is going to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again by a mountain. Jesus <clears throat> sees what's happening. The crowds are forming. The time isn't right. Everybody's running in his direction. And he says, you know what? I got to get out of here. I want you to understand this. He wasn't leaving because he was afraid of people. And he wasn't leaving because he didn't want to do this anymore. He wasn't leaving because he saw needs that he couldn't fix. He saw situations that he couldn't handle. He, he didn't have enough manna to make it rain enough. He was leaving because the hearts of those who were chasing him weren't pursuing him for the right reasons. 
and says, I got to go. I got to go because what they want is not what I'm here for. They want me to do this. They want me to slay the dragon. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to be that king. I'm here to be the king of kings. I'm here because I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to be a sacrificial king, not that I'm going to be a warrior king in this moment. What they wanted, what the crowds wanted, what many people want when they come to Jesus is their agenda, is their reason, it's their needs, it's their fix. And I dare say this, what church often wants, oh, I'm going to get personal here. What church, I hope you're right, what church often wants they say, I, I, I'm showing up because I want to hear my song. I'm showing up because I, I want to hear my sermon. I'm showing up because I want, I want to get to do what I want to do in church. I want it to feel good for me. Pastor, I, I want it to feel good for you too. I'm sorry that I yell so much. I just get excited. But I, I want it to feel good for you too. But get this. Get this. When, when the heart of the people wasn't right, Jesus withdrew. Church, I got to be serious with you for a minute. We want the work of God to fall. We want the spirit of God to flow. We got to come before God and say, God, here's what I got. Do what you want with it. God, here's who I am. Use me how you want. God, my agenda was this, but if you want to go there, I'm with you. I'm all in. I'm really invested in what you're going to do. And if we can do that, if we will do that, Oh, we can see the rest of the stories play out. We ran out of time, but the rest of chapter 6 goes something like this. Jesus uh, withdraws from this moment. He goes to the other side of the mountain, and he says he, he begins to rest with the disciples. They're hanging out, and they're talking, they're teaching, and Jesus says, hey, guys, go get in the boat and go, and they go and they get in the boat and go, and as they go to get in the boat and go, Jesus does not go with them. A little bit confusing there in that moment. They, don't, they go, and Jesus is not with them. Now they're out in the water. Watch this. I don't have time for a whole sermon, so I'm just going to give you some, some quick points about it. Now they're out in the water. Everything seems fine and dandy. They're like, life's okay. And in the peace of life, the storm blows in. That's a sermon that'll preach right there. In the peace of life, the storm blows in. And they look around, and Jesus isn't anywhere to be found. And they get scared. And they forget everything that they've been trained, everything that they've been ready for. They're sitting in the boat, and they're crying like they're going to die. And Jesus comes walking out on the water. Now watch this. The Bible says that Jesus walks toward them. And I think part of the reason why it says that Jesus comes toward them to bring them the hope again that they were looking for is this. This story that we follow of Jesus and God is a story that ends at some point with God coming back again. We don't talk about it a whole lot because we celebrate what God is doing here and now, but I want you to say that. I want you to understand this. We're one day closer. You're one day closer. You're one day closer to seeing God in the face-to-face, and that'll either be because you've gone on to glory or it'll be because glory has come to you. One way or the other, we're one day closer. And because I believe that, you're going to hear a little bit more about this in our meeting today, but because I believe that, I am not willing to sit silent and let somebody else pass by without hearing the invitation to the good news. And church, because you believe that, then I want to challenge you, also equip you, but I want to challenge you to do the same. Let's stop being silent on the opportunity to give somebody the gift of eternity. If you get a chance, read the rest of that story of Jesus walking on the water. That's the only one of... Uh, uh, this, the, the, the miracle we just talked about today is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's kind of a cool fact about um, Jesus...
And, uh, and then Jesus goes out to walk on the water. It's a story where Jesus comes to the disciples. He brings that spirit of hope to them. And I hope that as you come to the Father, as you find yourself in fellowship with the church, you find that same experience where God is coming to you in a time of worship. God is coming to you in a time of preaching. God is coming to you in the fellowship that you find with one another. And you once again find the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I believe that you are in the midst of, uh, of, of an awakening of sorts, God. You're in the midst of, of calling us back, of, of, of beckoning us, of reminding us, of inviting us, of challenging us to, 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 to hear you and hear an invitation to you. But God, I, I confess on, on, on my behalf and, and on behalf of many others that, uh, that we've missed moments to be able to, to cry out to the world that this isn't it that there's more to life than this. There's even more to life than being in church on Sunday morning, though that's a significant part of it. The more to life is being able to say, I've aligned my life with the Father. I've laid down what was mine. I've taken up what is his. You said from the beginning of Scripture that, I, that we carry your image into the world. And so, God, today, we as a church, we want to say yes, that we will step forward and say God, everything that's mine is yours. Use it however you want. I don't have a lot. I don't know how it would ever feed enough, but if you can use it, take it. If you've got a plan for it, if you've got a plan for, 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 for me, if you've got a plan for my wife, if you've got a plan for my kids, if you've got a plan for our resources, if you've got a plan for our, our desires, if you have a plan for our future, if you have a, God, just take it and use it. Do whatever you want with it. Because, God, I believe that it, when we surrender to you, when we fully say, yes, God, I, I give up. It, uh, God, I'm sitting in front of 5,000, and I don't know what to do. I'm sitting in front of five, and I don't know what to do. I'm sitting in front of one, and I don't know what to do. So I just simply open my hand and say, God, it's yours. So whatever's going to come out, let it be yours. Whatever I'm going to do, let it be yours. Whatever you're going to use, let it be yours. God, just take it. Do something great with it. And so you take some old jars of water, and you make wine. You create a, a, a party and a, and a festival that has never been, that, that we still talk about to today. And you take somebody's Lunchable and you feed the masses. And that testifies to what you can do. But God, just help me to be that little boy. Help me just come and say, this is all I got. Take it. God, it's yours. Help me to be Andrew, to be willing to go out there and say, hey, who wants to be a part of what God is doing? Who wants to be invited in to what God is going to do right here? Because it's only, it's only Jesus who can solve this. It's only Jesus who can right this ship. It's only Jesus who can take a wayward and, 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 and turn him to, to be a saint. It's only Jesus who can take the hellbound and create salvation for him. It's only Jesus who can take me, who was headed to, the, to, to, to some far off place, can turn me around and center me here. It's only Jesus. Lost, found. Hopeless, hope-filled. Sinner, saint. Only Jesus. So God, burden our hearts. Burden our hearts to, to bring only Jesus before people. 
burden our hearts to invite somebody to hear and experience what only Jesus can do. And as we surrender that to you, Lord God, oh, might the miraculous nature of Jesus be still evident and present today. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.